All right, we're going to study scripture, so I hope you got a Bible with you. If you would, open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And if you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. If you're joining us on live stream, welcome. So glad that you all are with us here this morning. We're walking through this series called Encounters with Jesus. I hope it's been encouraging to you as we've just seen story after story in the pages of the Gospels of how Jesus encounters people's lives and they come away changed in various kinds of ways we've seen that and we're going to see it, Lord willing, again this morning in a uh, beloved story for so many believers. If you're familiar with the stories of the Gospels, this one is a well-loved story. Luke 17, if you'd follow along, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. While traveling to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. So when our kids were littles, uh, we had these Bible memory song CDs, and uh, it was Hide Them in Your Heart, had Steve Green on the cover, uh, and he would just sing through these various songs. They were very kid-friendly, and they were very short verses, familiar verses, uh, and, and one of them was from Psalm 118, and it said this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And it was just kind of upbeat, hopping and bopping sort of song. And they would just sing it in the back of the van as we're driving down. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And I was even going back, just for memory's sake, to go back and look at those Hide Him in Your Heart, Volume 1, 2. And just seeing what verses did they pick. And, and trying to think, why would those verses make the short list? Why would Psalm 118, verse 1 make the short list of verses we want to make sure we give away to the next generation as they come up in the Lord. And I think it makes sense that Psalm 118 makes the short list because healthy Christians, biblically speaking, healthy Christians are thankful Christians. Healthy Christians know that God has been good to us and that we can, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we are able to give thanks in everything. Paul says, in everything, give thanks. The gathering of worship in Ephesians 5.19 is, is we're singing and making melody, giving thanks in our hearts to the Lord. It is a thankful community, and that thanksgiving is breeded by, is, is brought along, is created by the gospel. So every moment of our lives, Christians know nothing makes more sense for people who have been redeemed than to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good his love endures forever. And this story in the Gospels is meant to take us there. It's meant to introduce Christians to a life of thankfulness, to invite us into that thing that God wants to create, namely a thankful heart. So we're going to look at this passage and ask three simple questions. The first is this, what happened? If you're taking notes, that's the first question, what happened? 
And the story unfolds this way. We'll take it in a couple of parts. The first is this. Jesus shows his mercy and power. That's the first thing that happens is Jesus shows his mercy and power. So back up and let's get the context. Look at verse 11. He's headed to Jerusalem. Now, if you keep reading in Luke's gospel, you see that once he arrives in Jerusalem, it's the triumphal entry. It is Palm Sunday, and it's, it's on from there on, right? He's marching toward the cross on Good Friday and toward his resurrection that following Sunday. But this whole section, again, zooming out, this whole section of Luke's gospel from chapter 9, verse 51, through chapter 19, verse 44, is this one big section. You could just call it the journey to Jerusalem. Because Luke continues to show you that Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. I want to just show you that. So just flip in your Bible back to chapter 9, 51. Chapter 9, verse 51. And it says right there, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. All right, so there the journey begins. Flip over to chapter 13, verse 22. Luke writes, he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. This is Luke's way of just saying, he's just showing you the GPS on the dashboard. We are still en route. We are still headed toward Jerusalem. And all along the way, what's he doing? As you flip pages, you see he's teaching parables about the kingdom. Flip your page again uh, to chapter 13, verse 33. So we're still same chapter, verse 33. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Continues to travel, flip the page, chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him. And then flip over to our text, back in chapter 17, we come full circle, chapter 17, verse 11. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. So Luke is showing us in this entire section, and he continues to move all the way to chapter 19. The GPS is on the dashboard, and he's moving toward the cross. And all along the way, as you were flipping pages, you saw that he's teaching parables about the kingdom, and he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom through miracles. So it's parables and miracles. It's teaching and demonstration, and it's all about the kingdom. So don't miss this because we're seeing another story of a miracle and I think this can be easy for us to do is we take these miracles as one-offs and we think, wow, a life has been changed here. Well, yes, a life has been changed. That person was really healed in real history. That person had a name and they were healed in real history. But underneath that healing of that individual, there was a deeper story. There's deeper truths tucked inside the healing, which is why John, the writer of the Gospel of John, likes to call miracles signs because they're pointing beyond the sign itself to the meaning or the significance of what's going on. And what's going on there is Jesus, when he heals people, when he heals these 10 lepers, he's saying, I'm gonna tell you something about who I am. I'm gonna tell you something about the nature of the kingdom. I'm gonna tell you something in this healing about what happens when people encounter me. What happens when people enter into my kingdom? So Jesus is on his way to his death, on his way to Jerusalem, and it says they passed between, you see those words there, between Samaria and Galilee. So that was a part of, of the world that a lot of Jewish people would walk around. They would go the long way around so that they didn't have to walk through that area because all the compromisers lived there. All the unfaithful people 
lived there. The, the dirty Gentiles lived there and the Jews who were in league with the dirty Gentiles lived there. And Jesus is patching through. You could, it's sort of Sketchville, right? He's passing through Sketchville and you hear a voice, voices calling out to you. And these aren't just the residents of Sketchville. These are the lepers. These are the dregs of the dregs. These are the ones that even the people who live in Samaria and Galilee, even they exclude this group of people. They're the ones crying out because... <clears throat> Lepers in that society, in anxious society, they were, uh, they were isolated. So there were laws that said, you have to live over there. You used to live with your family or with your friends, but now that you've been diagnosed, now that you've been found to be with leprosy, you've got to go live with all those other people who are rotting and on their way to death. And together, y'all can all die out there at the outskirts of the city, so they were rejected. They all, even when they came into town, if they had something that they had to do, they had to notify everybody of what they were. So they had to shout, unclean, unclean. That means you can't come near me. I'm one of those people. I'm a leper. And yet, today, for whatever reason, they've dropped the script. They lost the one word that they're supposed to speak when they're around other people, and they've picked up this other word, and they're not shouting unclean. What are they shouting? They're shouting, Mercy, mercy, Jesus, master, have mercy. And it's the word that is most associated in all of the gospels. The adjective that most often describes Jesus of Nazareth is compassion. And that's the very word that they're using. Compassion, mercy. You're that guy, right? You're the mercy guy. We need mercy, you might ask the question, where would they get the idea that they could get an audience with Jesus Christ, this, this rabbi? Rumors were all around town that he was very special. Why would they think that they could command an audience with someone like this? And I think they got the idea from the story that we read in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be on the screen. In Mark's gospel, Jesus went into, notice the location, all of Galilee, so that's there preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, then a man with leprosy came to him. This is toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Leprosy came to him on his knees and begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told them, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Verse 45, yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news. So Jesus said, I've healed you, don't say a word about it. The guy leaves and he says words about it. Lots of words, loud words, in the area of Galilee. He's singing his way around the entire village saying, guess what happened? You saw me before. I'm living with my family again. I've been healed by Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe that's why these lepers from that same part of town said there was, a, there was rumor that a man who, was, who used to live with us and he was utterly changed by this compassionate Jesus. And so what do they say in our text? Jesus, Master, have mercy. Have mercy on us. You see verse 14? So when Jesus saw them, he hears their voice crying out, and then he sees them, and he told them, 
Go and show yourselves to the priests. So pause there for just a second. Why go show yourself to the priest? Well, in the Old Testament, if you were diagnosed with leprosy and found to be with leprosy, you had to be excluded from the community because they didn't want everybody else to catch it. So you have to be excluded. And if you thought that maybe you had been healed and your leprosy had gone, out, gone away and you kind of saw what you seemed to be evidence of healing, you couldn't just go home of your own accord. Um, so there were gatekeepers. And the people who were trained to assess if leprosy was gone from a person's body were the priests. The priests were trained to identify and evaluate the presence or absence of leprosy. So Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. He tells these 10 lepers. The interesting thing about this passage in contrast to Mark 1 is he tells them, go see the priest before he's healed them. So go do the thing you would do if you were healed, but you're not. Whereas in Mark 1, he heals them and says, go show yourself to the priest. Here, they say, have mercy. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. He's calling for an act of faith, isn't he? And they do it. (laughs) Lo and behold, they, they turn around 180 and they start walking toward the priest as if they've already been healed. And somewhere along the way, Luke says, as they're walking between here and there, they were cleansed. It's an amazing thing. You can imagine what happened because they didn't have mirrors, right? So they must have looked at each other and said, dude, something's happening to you. Or maybe they all of a sudden could hear and before their ears had already decayed and were unable to hear and suddenly they can hear, right? You imagine these people, what are they doing the moment they realize we're completely whole now? They would have gone dancing, they would have been shouting, they would have been singing, right? This same Luke records a story of healing in Acts chapter three, and he says he went walking and leaping and praising God. I imagine very similar things were happening with these 10 former lepers, walking and leaping and praising God. And while they're headed toward the priest, one of them breaks rank and he turns around and he heads back toward Jesus. And so we see the next turn in this amazing story, and it's this, a healed man returns with grateful worship. Verse 15, but one of them, so there's a contrast with the other nine, seeing that he was healed, returned with a loud voice. So just pause there for a second. He, you could hear him from down the street. He comes with a loud, he, he found a megaphone somewhere. Actually, that is the exact words that that are used. In the original language, the word for loud is mega, and the word for voice is phone. He found a megaphone, and he is making some noise on his way back to Jesus, crying out with a loud voice. Look at verse 15. With a loud voice, what's he doing? He gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. If we were looking at that moment, we'd all be in tears. Right? We would just be overwhelmed by seeing his joy and all the emotion that's pent up and spilling out. We would all just be so deeply moved. The, the interesting thing to me is, Luke, why don't you stop and draw it out a little bit? Tell the story. Put us there. Right? Don't be so clinical. I know he's a physician, but just don't be clinical this once. Be extra just this one time, Luke, right? But Luke just hurries on from that moment, from what happened to what's missing, What's missing? 
And if you ask the question, what's missing, the answer from the text is nine former lepers. <laughs> That's what's missing. Nine ex lepers whose lives have been changed. And, and that's the barbed question that Jesus brings. This man is still going on and on, loud voice at his feet, praising God. And Jesus says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has not anyone returned except for this foreigner, this Samaritan so what does that lead you to infer from the text? It leads us to infer that all the other nine were children of Israel. They were not Samaritans. They were children of Israel. They, they were connected to the ancestry. I mean the ancestry, they had Abraham in, on their family tree. They had Isaac. They had Jacob. They had one of the 12 tribes in their ancestry line. And Jesus said, where are my kinsmen? Where are the Jews? Where are the Old Testament people of faith? Only a Samaritan comes back, right? And so we learn something about, really that Luke features in his gospel more than any of the other gospel writers is Luke features this irony. And in the gospel of Luke, throughout the gospel of Luke, the outsiders are inside and the insiders are outside. The people who respond favorably to Jesus' message and his ministry are all the wrong people. They're people with a past. They're Samaritans. They're immoral people. They're tax collectors. They're Zacchaeus, right? They're the people who are on the outskirts socially and morally. They're on the outskirts. And Jesus heals these 10 lepers, and the only one who's standing on his face in front of him happens to be a Samaritan. And you wonder if Luke speeds past the miracle because that's exactly what the nine lepers did. Is Luke blowing right by the miracle? Because they blew right by the miracle. They grabbed their blessing and ran. Ran where? Ran back to comfort. Ran back to home. Ran back to see my baby girl. Right? I saw her the day I was diagnosed. She was two months old. I haven't seen her in three years. So in fairness, you can understand they had one thing on their mind. And in fairness, Jesus is the one who told us to go see the priest. I'm just going to see the priest. I'm going to see the priest and now I've been made whole. But one of them turned around. And Jesus' words of response reveal something about a problem of the heart. And it's not just an ancient problem. It's a here and now problem. And it's that we too take the blessings and run, don't we? We, we, we know how to say please. We don't know how to say thank you. We know how to say, God, I'm desperate for mercy. I need mercy five minutes ago. And then here comes the mercy and we just run off with it. We don't turn around and thank the giver of the gift. You think about it. We live in a world that refuses to say, Lord, thank you. This is the story that is described. Even when you get at the, 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 the deepest wiring of the fall, the fall of humanity, the apostle Paul, he says, everybody knew that there is internally God made it. He wrote eternity into their hearts so that every human being on planet earth knows there is a God, knows that he is great and glorious, knows that we have him to thank. And yet Paul writes these words in Romans chapter one, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God 
or give thanks to him. The heart of atheism, whether it's avowed atheism or functional atheism, the heart of atheism is the atheist atheist lives under an open heaven of God's undeserved blessings and feels like he has no one to thank. He doesn't realize he has someone to thank for this because he has suppressed that reality in unrighteousness. Andrew Peterson, who is one of my favorite songwriters, uh, he's come and done concerts here at Brook Hills. He's coming again this December. I'm excited about that. But he's uh, such a fine songwriter. And he writes, one of his songs, um, he writes about the pains of life in this very broken world. And he says, but on the other hand, even while we walk through the pains of life in this hard world, there are joys that break through into our experience because God is kind. And here's what he says. Don't you ever wonder why In spite of all that's wrong here, there's still so much that goes so right and beauty abounds. Because sometimes when you walk outside, the air is full of song here. The thunder rolls and the baby sighs and the rain comes down. And when you see the spring has come and it warms you like a mother's kiss, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? We have someone to thank. God has been good. God has been kind. All contrary to what we deserve, we have someone to thank. It's not just a problem sort of out there. It's a problem in here. The history of God's people reveals discontentment with God's blessings, reveals a kind of sense of entitlement with God's blessings. So the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they have manna. They just need to step outside and pick it up, and you get to eat tonight. And they started complaining, oh, it's manna. Every day, it's just manna, right? And God says, I was feeding you bread from heaven, and you found a way to complain? Right? So there are songs that are all throughout the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms is just a hymnal for God's Old Testament people. And it's right there in the very middle of your Bible. And there were songs that they sang that were really strange, if you think about it. If you read that song in the book of Psalms, and you think, they actually gathered together, Old Testament people, and sang these words. Some of those words are very strange because they had songs like Psalm 106, for example. Psalm 106 is basically a gather around, let's sing the story of the life of our family and our history together. And guess what the song is? It's a song about how awful we've been for centuries. (laughs) It's a song that says, God blessed us and we made off with his blessings and forgot him. And they just have to sing themselves through that story of centuries of us being terrible idolaters, even though God continued to bless us. And you can kind of imagine diving into that moment. There you are in the Old Testament community of faith and you're singing these songs about how terrible we've been for so long. And you're like, why are we singing songs about stupid things our ancestors did 500 years ago? Um, It wasn't an exercise in guilt. It was an exercise in humility. And humility breeds thankfulness. It was their way of saying, we used to forget what God had done for us, but now we're going to remember. We're going to remember that we had been faithless and he has been faithful. And so we're just going to sing it. It's hard because there's a lot of confession in this song, but we're going to sing it so we don't go back and do the same things that we had done before. And guess what the first words of Psalm 106 are? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It was a song to create 
thankfulness, to turn Israel back to say, thank you, thank you. What happened, what's missing, what's it mean for us? What's it mean for us? And we're just gonna unpack this in a couple of ways. The first is this, grace begets gratefulness. When we experience grace that is meant to trigger, to bring about gratitude. If you think about the deeper story underneath this physical leprosy, do these lepers remind you of someone? And they should, if you know the story of the gospel, they should remind you of you. (laughs) They should remind me of me. Because the apostle Paul will write later on in Ephesians chapter two, and he will say, you were the walking dead. You were separate from Christ. You were without God and without hope in this world. And you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were the lepers. That's the gospel reality. And our deepest healing came from Jesus. By his stripes, we have been healed. It's the gospel story. I love how we're toward the end of this journey to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to go to the cross and he's going to give his life for our ultimate healing, the deepest healing that we need. We need the cross to cleanse us of our sins. We need forgiveness. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be shielded from God's judgment and the punishment that our sins deserve. And all the way to him doing that fundamental, eternity-changing act of healing, all along the way he's saying, I'm going to show you what I'm about to do. In a physical, dramatic way, I want to show you what I'm about to do for everybody who trusts in me. You come with me, here's what you get. Wholeness, healing, shame is gone. You're not isolated, you're not far off anymore. Now you come up right next to God. Now you're in his family. Maybe this morning you're not a Christian. Maybe you've you've never been a Christian. Maybe you'd say, I'm not sure I've ever been a Christian, and you're here for whatever reason you had in your mind or your heart when you got here. I think you're here because God brought you here. And I think God brought you here because he wants to invite you into the deep healing that he does through the cross of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that is found through repenting and believing. And if that's you, my, uh, my, my word of pleading with you would be, let's let the repenting begin and the believing begin so that the healing can begin. The grace can come flowing into your life. We have someone to thank. And once we meet Jesus and the Holy Spirit turns on the lights, we know who he is. That's what explains our worship here this morning. We know who deserves our thanks. We know who deserves our praise. Our future is secure. We have hope in him. Not only that, we have hope even here. We have comfort even here. We have the Holy Spirit who walks with us even through trials in this world. We, we know that, as Augustine said this over a thousand years ago, he said, anything this side of hell is grace. You think about that. Anything this side of hell you don't deserve. <laughs> it's grace. Not just that, which that is ultimate. Don't miss it. That is ultimate. <laughs> But even in the midst of this hard, broken world, don't we have, because of the kindness of God, seasons of blessing, seasons of joy, 
the gift of rest, the gift, gifts of family, gifts of friendships, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. That word, that verse in James is actually what inspired the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, that is all that I have fundamentally needed, thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. What, what's that hymn doing? It's saying, don't you want to thank someone for this? And it says, verse one, here's what you've received. Don't you want to thank someone? Verse two, don't you have someone to thank? Do you not have a grateful heart because of what God has done? Grace begets gratefulness, and second, grateful people are merciful. Some of us, we, we know people who love to be around other people. They're rarely alone. You never see them alone because they just love running in packs, right? They've always got a gang around them. Well, in a sense, biblically speaking, gratitude always has a gang around it. Ingratitude also always runs with a gang. And those gangs are utterly distinct from each other. So ingratitude travels with bitterness in Scripture, complaining, cynicism, self-absorption, entitlement, pride, Right, so who sees that gang walking past and says, that's a group I want to be a part of? <laughs> that's who ingratitude travels with, if you will. Gratitude, on the other hand, travels with a completely different group. It travels with peace, with encouragement, with thankfulness, with joy, with hope, with contentment, with patience, with mercy. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with Thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, because peace runs with thanksgiving. Peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. We dwell on a lot that's wrong, don't we? You ever get into a season of life where there was never an injury, you weren't ready to nurse it? Like there's no tomorrow. Nursing every insult, nursing every injury. Paul says there's a better way. Let me give you a prescription for your thought life that leads to peace. And it begins with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Look, if you are unmerciful toward others, that is not a personality issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a problem in the soul. It means you've forgotten. You have forgotten how merciful God has been to you. And so it's closed your hand to give mercy to others. It makes no sense to receive mercy. Run back to Jesus, give him praise, and then withhold mercy from others. You see how that's, there's dissonance there. It makes no sense. We want people to experience God's mercy. It should create a community of mercy. That's why we love missions. Right? We love... The, the word of the gospel, the word of God's mercy, reaching the ends of the earth, reaching unreached people groups around the world, people who don't know the name of Jesus. So that's why we go to the world, short-term, mid-term, long-term. It's why we send to the world, short-term, mid-term, and long-term, because we want mercy to run. We want thankfulness to run. 
We want the work of Jesus through his cross to so change people's lives that they come running back, returning in praise to him, falling on their faces just like us. Look, gathered worship is happening around the world today. And you know what's going on all around the world, everywhere that believers are gathering in the name of Jesus? In every nation, they are gathering to return to give praise to the one who had mercy on them. That's Sunday, Lord's Day worship. There's this vision of perfect joy in the new creation, in the new Jerusalem. And what do you see? Gathered around Jesus Christ in absolute, unbroken praise. And who's there? Ex-addicts, ex-lepers, ex-Pharisees, all here because you saved us, feasting with joy in the presence of God. So if the things that we see here in Luke 17, if that's what lepers encountered when they met Jesus, the question is, what does the world encounter when they meet the people who are the body of Christ, the church? Do they, in, do they encounter mercy? Do they encounter compassion in us? Are we merciful? Are we grateful-hearted people? Do we make off with God's blessings or do we turn back to praise? Are we thankful, even in the midst of hardship, are we thankful, buoyant people? My grandpa, um, on my mom's side, his wife, she took a fall, my mama, she took a fall many years ago, and, um, and after that fall, late in her life, she, her health declined rapidly, and she was in the hospital, and Papa was just there the whole time, just holding her hand and praying for his girl. And, uh, and in my extended family, uh, I don't know anyone in my extended family who loves prayer and believes more in the readiness of God to heal people of physical things than Papa. And he prayed for his girl day and night that God would heal her. And uh, God had other plans. And she died. And so there I'm, I'm sitting with Papa and we're planning the service. And I said, so what songs do you think would be most appropriate? What, what do you feel, Papa? What do you want us to sing? And he said, the first song he said was my tribute. And the very first words of my tribute are, how can I say thanks. Isn't there something otherworldly about a thankful heart and about a thankful heart in the midst of suffering and in the midst of grief? And we have known untold blessings that we will sing about in the age to come for a thousand years and we're just getting started. We have known these blessings and the question for us is, don't you want to thank someone for this?